Welcome to On Leading. I'm Shauna Steffen, and today I have the distinct pleasure of talking with the Green for All leadership team. Credited by many for building the green jobs movement in America, Green for All is driven by a mission to build an inclusive green economy strong enough to lift people out of poverty. An organization within DreamCorps, which was founded by Van Jones to support campaigns and initiatives that empower the most vulnerable, Green for All is led by a powerful trio of women. Vien Trung, one of the country's foremost policy innovators and strategists at the intersection of equity, economic development, and climate justice, is the director of Green for All and the deputy CEO of DreamCorps. She is joined by talented organizer and advocate Michelle Romero, who is the deputy director of Green for All, and seasoned coalition builder Kim Noble, who is the director of national partnerships. Together, Vienne, Michelle, and Kim reveal what is possible when we unleash and uplift the genius that is unheard and often overlooked within society's systemically silenced populations. They demonstrate restorative leadership by empowering and advocating for the transformative impact that each of us can have within our own communities. In this interview, Vienne, Michelle, and Kim discuss key restorative leadership practices that are participatory and bridging as they work to ensure that those most impacted by fossil fuel pollution and the cascading impacts of climate change have their needs and voices heard. Reflecting a deep understanding of the interconnectedness of life, Green for All catalyzes innovative solutions to the issues that emerge where social and environmental challenges meet. Let's listen in as the Green for All leadership team reveals how returning to our shared humanity as an act of love bridges divides among unusual allies and yields breakthrough progress for all. Thank you, the Green for All leadership team here for taking this time. And I wonder if each of you would please state your name, your full name, and your role with Green for All. My name is Vian Trung, and I direct and lead Green for All. My name is Michelle Romero. I'm the deputy director of Green for All. And this is Kim Noble. I'm the Director of National Partnership for Green for All. Mm, thank you. Boy, I sure feel lucky to get to talk with all three of you today. As you know, I am conducting research to inform and evolve understanding of restorative leadership as a guiding framework for the 21st century. And just to uh, recap, restorative leadership recognizes the interconnectedness of all life and acts for the highest benefit to all. So with that orientation of highest benefit to all, it's natural to look to Green for All. And I wonder, Green for All is approaching the celebration of a 10-year anniversary, having been founded by Van Jones 10 years ago. And I wonder, you know, given that you are uniquely positioned to leverage progress for all in a very powerful way, situated in California, which ranked as the sixth largest economy in the world in 2016. And, and Green for All has been um, extremely productive at, at advancing positive change. What would you say have been some of Green for All's most significant outcomes or positive impacts in its 10-year history? And maybe just a, you know, a top three or something that show up. This is the end. We were the primary organizations that have built the green jobs movement. 
And at a time when the country has uh, felt like it, you got to pick the environment or the economy. We were the ones who made the rallying cry that said, "No, actually, those those two things go hand in glove and actually work really well together." We did it so well that in the 2008 presidential uh, race, each of the candidates, both on the Republican and the Democratic side, were pushing for green jobs, and that's amazing. Um, and that was what led into a set of policies in the Obama administration that directed funding to programs that would create green jobs. From the Stimulus Act that allocated over $40 billion to creating green jobs, to even the um, Energy Independence and Security Act signed by George Bush, George W. Bush, uh, and um, added by Speaker Pelosi, there was a $125 million grant for green jobs training. And the organization has thus far helped to drive investments in the billions to the uh, work around creating green jobs bringing people into uh, stable and uh, upwardly mobile family-paid jobs, family-wage jobs. So I think the policy piece has been important and the movement piece has been important. And the third thing I would say is that we brought people together. And when we were able to bring these things like the communities of practice, we brought together the best minds in the country on various topics to create the best solutions. And then we put it out for free so that you're a policymaker or an advocate, you would have the best thinking on these issues to go ahead and advocate for. And these things included pipelines for young young people, from uh, young people who were dropping out to how do we connect them to schools and how do we connect them to jobs. We actually have the best minds and created this youth employment and leadership ladder, and it's on our website now if you're interested in those resources. We had one around social enterprises. How do you do good and make green at the same time? You know, we brought together cohorts around uh, re-entry, people who are coming out of prison. How do we make sure that we're uh, plugging them into the good jobs created in the green sector? And uh, we created ones on water infrastructure. So things that were social, things that were technical, we created uh, the best thinking around these key issues and put it out there for free. And a lot of the policies and programs that we see today came out of many reports and many of the thinkers that were in that room. Hmm. You say at Green for All that the two biggest problems facing our country and the world are runaway climate change and rising inequality, and that we can't fully solve one without addressing the other. Could you explain that? Sure. Picture a very poor and polluted community. Just put in your mind what that would look like. Now I ask you, what do the faces look like? And the fact that we all probably immediately conjure faces of color means to us that it's not an accident in this country, that we have issues of poverty and pollution so interconnected to racial justice. There's no way that you can even begin to unbundle these interconnected issues, and there's no way to address any one of them. Really, you cannot address any one of them without thinking of the whole picture together. Mm. Thank you. Kim or Michelle, would you like to add anything to that question? Would you like me? And I can restate the question. I was just wondering if you could explain uh, what it means that the two biggest problems facing our country and the world are runaway climate change and rising inequality, and that we can't fully solve one without addressing the other. This is Kim. I'll take a stab at it. (laughs) You know, we we talked about Green for All. Um, We're coming upon our 10-year anniversary 
And you know, when, when Van started Green for All around 10 years ago, he had the vision that you can and should fight poverty and pollution at the same time. And back then it was unheard of, but he was right on the money. We know that the facts are that our communities face a disproportionate burden of environmental toxins simply because of where, you know, we happen to live or work. And um, I'm African-American, and historically we tend to live in communities that house more power plants, uh, incinerators, or industrial-type plants. And it's not that our communities, you know, are looking for homes located in these areas or, or other types of polluting plants. But polluters are routinely targeting our communities, low-income communities and communities of color, for some of their dirtiest projects. So if our communities that are hit worse than first by pollution and climate change and its lack of investments in our communities that have left us more vulnerable to climate disasters. So many of the harmful emissions that torch the planet from cars and coal, they also lead to higher asthma rates, other respiratory ailments that are making our communities sick. We cannot tackle the harm done by fossil fuel pollution without tackling where it lives, and it lives in our frontline communities. I wonder, given what you see and what you experience and what you know, what do you think it will really take to bring out the best of our diverse humanity to ensure a sustainable world? And I invite each of you to answer this question. Hmm. I want to defer to Michelle and Kim's answer first, and maybe I'll go last. I mean, the one thing that comes to mind first is that it's going to take us all getting uncomfortable. You know, when we talk about how do you address poverty and pollution together, I think one of the challenges in getting folks to, to do that and to be willing to sit down at the table and talk about how we can actually have clean air, clean water, and clean jobs and a strong economy all at once. Um, you know, it's, it, it challenges the notion that we live in an either-or society um, and the politics of either-or issues, right? And you've got candidates who can run on economic issues and be strong on that and, and not really dive too much into environmental issues and vice versa. You've got you know, candidates who can run on an environmental platform in a more white, affluent area and, and not necessarily have to deal with issues of poverty. But because these issues are connected um, and because people live multi-issue lives, uh, we're not single-issue people, right? Um, it really, I think, is, is forcing our society as a whole to get a little uncomfortable, to unpack some of that um, dichotomy and and figure out how we actually create solutions that improve the lives um, of all. Mm. Um, this is Kim. I, I second what Michelle said. I think it is going to involve some, some really uh, coining Van's phrase, some messy conversations. Um, I think when we see uh, incidences like uh, what's happening in Flint or even closer to my, my area here uh, in Brandywine, Maryland, where we have a community that is facing their fifth power plant in a 15-mile radius. Mm. You have to look at the uh, you know, demographics of that community, and we do see that it is uh, primarily uh, African-American and, um, and lower-income uh, households. So you know, then we have to ask ourselves the question, 
why are power plants more saturated in that area as opposed to uh, Montgomery County, Maryland, where there um, is more affluency? And it's not just in Maryland, but, um, you know, just in places throughout the, the, the country where we mm-hmm. see routinely that polluters have targeted low-income communities and communities of color. They can get away with it. There's less resistance, I think, uh, that they, they feel that they can go after it and, and not, um, you know, have to bear the consequences uh, or, or buck up against the system. So I, I think there's a lot that needs to happen, conversations. We need to call it for what it is, environmental racism, and then take it from there and let's see if we can come to uh, some solutions because these communities are still being targeted and they're still breathing dirty air, and, um, and that has to stop. Hmm. Thank you. This is Deanne. I, at the risk of sounding gaffy and sentimental, as Trey would say, I think the answer is love. I think that what we have to begin to do is to love ourselves and to love others in ways that is um, hard these days, right? Because when you're feeling like you're life is threatened or your way of life is in jeopardy, then it's much more easy for folks to clamp into, what do I have, hoard all my own stuff. Um, But when you begin to see that we're all in it together, the work around restorative leadership is around seeing that we're interconnected and that our well-being is interconnected, that's exactly where we need to go. Because Mm -hmm. when we begin to understand that, then we begin to see the other person is not your problem. They're not the ones causing you to have your fears. There's a bigger problem beyond that. Thank you. What has your journey taught you that you'd like others to benefit from? You know, this is such a good question because um, I was recently thinking about Kim's role in Flint and how much she's really been on the ground and helping with communities there and her work in Brandywine. Kim, can you help start us out? Because I'm curious to hear the answer from you. Wow, that's a great question. I I think for me, it's making sure that I'm reminding myself to lead from a heart space. Um, A lot of times we get so caught up in the policy and the process that the people end up being secondary, and that is not going to work. We have to lead from a heart space and put people first. And um, Bian mentioned love being one of the uh, extensions that we can use to do that, and I think that is so important. We can tout facts and statistics, but uh, it's the stories and the people that that will resonate and that people will remember uh, going forward. So Bian mentioned that I was in Flint and did some work in Brandywine. And um, every time I go and visit these communities and I sit down and and I talk with families, it impacts me. I leave changed because someone honored me by sharing their story mm. and what's going on with them. If we can help amplify that and, and um, make sure that the world knows that they're not forgotten and that there is an issue here and that these are real people whose lives have been impacted by pollution, or polluted water or polluted air, they still matter very much so. So if I could leave one thing uh, as a takeaway to someone else is always leave from a heart space and put people first. Beautiful. So then my last question is, what gift of insight or 
wisdom would you offer the women of the world for success? Okay, I have a lot to say about this. <laughs> Don't let the man take the credit. Yeah, like, please, man, tell him. I was like, ahead, <laughs> you know what, Michelle, let me, let me, let me start on this one. Um, take it, Vianne. <laughs> what do I want women to know about their own leadership? I want them to know that they should play bigger. I want them to know that they should do do what is in their heart and to continue to push the envelope. I think for too too many people that are living these lives of quiet desperation, it frustrates me to no end that they have this genius or they have this perspective or they have this capacity. They have a gift that they don't see in themselves. And it's, it's sad for, for me to see that. And I try to, I think if you ever see, I know me, you would know that I always, I always am listening deeply to understand what the gift is in that person. And I love it when I find it. And I especially love it when I am able to, you know, step back and help to create space to let their leadership shine. Um, and I think, especially for women, we don't play big enough. And I think that that's part of the reason why we're here today. Um, and I don't think it's, you know, it's not our fault. You know, if we look at how the evolutions of, the, of women in the professions have been, it was, you know, really new to have women in the profession uh, in the 60s even, you know, to have them be beyond secretaries and to be on, like, uh, menial work. And as we were growing up the professional ladder, then it became a, we got to be like the men. we got to treat people the way that we're being treated. Um, and then that, you know, was passed on. And I think that with each growing professional set of women in, in this work, we're healing a little bit from the past. We're healing and we're healing and we're healing. We're collectively healing, though. That's the beauty. I actually think that women are collectively healing together. And um, maybe it's because of my place in life and now my station and my, my capacity in life to, you know, decide who I want in my life and who I don't want in my life. I only let the women in my life who I think are amazing and who are interested in the collective work together. And for us to really have co-power and solidarity to make it better for the greater good. And so when, when, because I am in this world where I can see that and I see women doing that for each other, I now see the transformation that each person is having in their own communities from Kim and Brandywine and Flint to Michelle basically being our, all of our bosses and running the entire uh, grain for all. Uh, to me, just being able to, like, you know, benefit from their leadership and their wisdom and to be able to, you know, be of service in whatever ways I can, I now am seeing that when we are able to support each other, that women can play so much bigger and really to transform the world. And I think, I do think that what we're seeing right now in this political moment is an awakening for women, and especially for women of color, to step into that leadership. And it's actually desperately needed, and it's perfect timing. That was my piece. Michelle and Kim, you guys should go for sure. <laughs> what she said. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What she said. I've definitely benefited from exactly what Vian's saying. Um, you know, she really does show up that way uh, for us in sort of creating that space. And it's been really good. I've learned a lot. We've had a lot of conversations where we're just working through, like, you know, um, why women wait to be invited to meetings, right, <laughs> that we notice on the calendar uh, instead of inviting ourselves and just recognizing the dynamics of 
how, you know, oftentimes men do that and it's not looked at, you know, oddly or like they're barging their way in and yet we sit quietly kind of waiting for an invitation. And so um, for me as a woman at Green for All and at DreamCorps under the leadership of someone like Vianne, I've definitely benefited from that kind of empowerment of someone who's just like, hey, you know, invite yourself, step in wherever you think you should be. That's okay. Own it, you know. Um, and to just have that permission, like literally it's the word, <laughs> you know, like just that brief moment where we had this one talk um, has done so much for me, I think, in my own personal growth. So, yeah, this is Kim. I, I second that. I, I'm a product of the South and, you know, was born in the 60s. And, you know, I know what environmental justice looks like. I know what racism and all of those things look like. And I learned it at an early age. And, um, but then I also think that there's other communities that are still experiencing this every day, you know, and I was raised by a strong black mother who said, you know what, Kim, be the change that you want to see in the world. And so that's something that I would pass along to other women who uh, need to feel empowered. Um, in the words of my mother, be the change. And in the words of the end, be strong, be confident, be fierce. Uh, you can um, do so much more than, than you ever dreamed possible. So, yeah, thank you for that question. Mm, thank you. Thank you for listening. I am Shauna Steffen, and this has been a conversation with Vien Trung, Michelle Romero, and Kim Noble of Green for All. To learn more about how Green for All is building an inclusive green economy strong enough to lift people out of poverty, visit greenforall.org. And to learn more about restorative leadership in action, please go to restorativeleadership.org and subscribe to On Leading on iTunes.